Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Brian Meza. Brian is the executive director of Petra Cares, an organization that works with young people aging out of foster care in Cypress, Texas. Welcome, Brian. Thank you so much for being part of our podcast series. I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation today. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Lynn. Thanks for asking. Well, you're very welcome. And I'm excited to learn about your organization and what you do. Before we do that, though, I'd like to ask if you could, please, Brian, share your story insofar as what brought you to working with youth who are transitioning from foster care to adulthood. Yeah, so I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, and I moved to Houston in 2009. I worked for a couple of large nonprofit organizations. One of them was Young Life in Greater Houston, and the other one was a fairly large Christian radio station called KSVJ out here. And it was there that I met the owner of Petra Automotive Products, and we became fast friends. And he, you know, basically said one day, hey, I'm, you know, we're going to, I'd love to start a foundation. I want you to be part of it. And that day's come. And so in 2021, the end of 2021, really all of 2022, we started to meet, we formed a board and we wanted to do something charitable from his company, which produces a product line of probably 300 to 350 different products that serves the automotive industry. And so this is okay. this is where this whole thing originated from. And so he had built an orphanage and we were going to kind of do the same thing, do like a food pantry or something along those lines to help people. And one of the things that he did was he invited a judge to talk to the board while we were kind of laying the groundwork for what PetroCares was going to be. And he said, you know, there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a lot of disappointment, a lot of trauma. There's, there's a lot of need anywhere. You can basically throw a rock in any direction and hit a need. And he goes, but let me tell you about this one thing that kind of flies under the radar, but it's a big issue that really not many people know about. And that night we learned about kids or youth aging out of foster care. And that was a seminal moment for us where we realized that we had to do something about it. That night, the whole board unanimously said, you know what, we pushed all of our chips in the middle of the table and we said, we're going to do something to, to tackle this, what we think is a, a big dilemma in our country. And we think we can do something great about it. And so we went on this journey and that's how I you know, took the deep dive into kids aging out of foster care. So that's where we are. So it sounds like they just discovered the challenges through this judge yeah. who knew about it from assuming working with these youth in the yeah. courtroom, correct? Yeah. One of the things the owner of the company says, Arnold, is that you know we were kind of in a bubble. We knew, we thought we knew what foster care was, but we had no idea. You know, the startling statistics that I'm sure a lot of listeners know, but if you don't, you know, we didn't know that if you're not adopted by the age of 12, you have a, you know, your lifespan is 23. When you age out up to, if you opt out of extended care, up to 80% will either be homeless or on the streets or even dead, you know, jail. That's how they, mm -hmm. they end up 
with very, very few options. And so it's very easy to understand how they end up, you know, in gangs and drugs and all these different things that, that just, that just really shortened the lifespan of these kids. And I, we see it every day with the kids that we deal with and we're so thrilled to be making a change. You know, I can't wait to, yeah. to get to that point, but I know that's later, right, Lynn? <laughs> In a little bit. Let's build up to that, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I did want to ask again, you know, that time when your board was making this decision, what was it about the needs of youth aging out? I mean, the outcomes obviously are glaring. Was there anything else that, as compared to other needs that you had learned about, what really jumped out at you all? Because it sounds like it was a pretty quick decision after yeah. you learned about it. Yeah, I think, you know, again, just the harrowing statistics. And it was actually a confluence of things. It was what we heard, the burden that we felt, you know, we kind of all felt passion and compassion to help these kids because we just didn't know. And of course, I'm giving the abridged version. You know, it was a long meeting and there was a lot of discussion, but also we thought, hey, what could we do like very quickly? And so on the premise here, as I mentioned, we service the automotive industry, right? We manufacture parts, products that you would put in your car, you know, think brake fluid, brake cleaner, transmission fluid, oils, all that stuff. Anything that you put from nose to tail in the car, we manufacture that. So on the property here is a full training room with a state-of-the-art lift, classroom space and everything. And we thought, wow, we actually could do something because we know what they need are skills and they need jobs. And we felt, man, we could really address that issue and really do something significant for some of these youngsters in a very quick way. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. It makes yeah. total sense to me yeah. that you would utilize the strength of the company Correct. and the resources that the company has to support your charitable arm. Correct. So we're starting to segue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so what is it that your organization does, the charitable arm of Petra Auto Products? And I'll let you talk and then I'll follow up with any questions that I have. We are very passionate about changing the lives of youth aging out of foster care. And not only them, but homeless youth and what we call opportunity youth by equipping them with education, giving them skills, and then career placement opportunities to help them you know, reach their potential, reach their goals in life. You know, our main goal is to see these young people move from merely surviving to thriving and giving them the opportunity to earn an honest living one day and to one day be able to have a family of their own. Every time we interview a kid for the program, they all say, I ask them at the end of the interview, I say, where do you see yourself in the future? And they say, I see myself working in a great career and having my own family. Every one of them, Lynn, every one of them say that. At our core, we are a job placement, job training center, but we're also helping to restore the family unit back to America. That's the big meta narrative, if you will. But that was one of the unforeseen things that we just kind of went, oh my gosh, this is, it really has some social implications that we didn't consider, but it could be a really great thing, you know, because we're equipping them to go out and earn a career and put them on a pathway to be able to experience upward mobility and job promotion. And just yesterday, I went to visit one of our kids. His name is Richard. 
And Richard was probably, I would say he's a walking miracle. He was referred to us by a program that he was in, and he was just heading down the wrong path. When he gets in a car accident, him and his cousin stole a vehicle, and his cousin picked him up. He had no idea the vehicle was stolen. Picks him up. The policeman runs the plates, puts the sirens on. The cousin didn't want to go to jail, so they think they're going to outrun the cops. And then they hit a corner too fast. They began to tumble, and they crashed, and they landed upside down. He was bleeding out. They had to remove him using the jaws of life. Oh, wow. And he crushed his femur bone. His whole leg was just a wreck. And he severed his, nearly severed his C1 vertebrae. They performed a surgery. They didn't know if he was going to ever walk again. Long story short, Richard, he did his rehab, wanted to change his life, wanted to get on the right track. He comes recommended to PetroCares. He finishes our class. We graduate him. He receives his diploma. And I'll talk about Lone Star College in a second. But then we send him to Kramer Automotive in Livingston, Texas, which is just north of Houston. And he is doing incredible. He's already got a promotion. And his hiring manager says, Brian, send me more like Richard. Because he's, <laughs> he's doing such a great job. And he said he came in, the tools that he learned, the skills that he learned from PetroCares, he goes, he came in head and shoulders above all of our new employees, new techs, right? It's that sort of thing, you know, and now he's enrolled at Lone Star College and he wants to be a master tech. Master techs can make anywhere from $200,000 to $250,000 a year, depending on the dealership. Wow. That'll take eight years or so to get that certification, but now he's on a pathway. Now he's on a trajectory and we have story after story after story of people like that. Wow, that's fantastic. I tell you what, the trades right now, yeah. there's such a need mm-hmm. for young people to go in the trades. And it's because the numbers are dwindling and so many people are retiring yeah. oh, from yeah. the trades. You can make a really decent living. Yes. In, in the US, according to Automotive News, there's a 51,000 automotive tech shortage. Who's going to fill that pipeline? You know, I will say I won't divulge which company, but there's a big motor company in the U.S. that Arnold, the owner of Petra and I, we had a conference call. In fact, last Friday, we had it with the gentleman that oversees the Western part of the United States for this big OEM. And, you know, they want to do something because they said, what you just said, hey, we have a shortage of mechanics. You know, what if we did a PetroCares powered by such and such car manufacturer? And we can have this program all over the country, you know, and that's really where we see this going because not because we want to build a great program for our own sake. It's just because nationally, every year, kids age out of foster care. There's half a million kids in the system right now, you know, across the country. So we see this ultimately as being a national organization and we're getting, we get calls all the time now, you know, from different cities that want to open it up. And so we said, hey, we're fairly new and we want to become experts here. And and so we've done that. We have a proof of concept. We've graduated 19 and we've placed 15 of them in great paying jobs. And we're still working with the other other ones, trying to get them employed. And they're unemployed for various reasons. You know, it's just kids. You know, some of them don't have licenses. One of them couldn't pass a drug test. One of them couldn't pass, you know, just couldn't stop 
smoking marijuana. Those are the things that we have to deal with, you know, that people just don't realize is, is uh, part of the equation. There's a lot that goes into helping young people not only acquire a job, but maintain that job Correct. when they've gone through trauma Yeah. and helping them understand how to deal with situations when a boss corrects you mm-hmm. or, you know, if, especially, you know, if they have issues with authority, having been in the foster care system, if they've had bad experiences, it could just be an authority yeah. reaction. Yeah. And it's really a matter, I think, of, of understanding that how to work with these young people, how to support them. Yeah. and coach them through those situations and yeah. patience. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you you yeah, absolutely that we can touch on that at the end if we have time, you know, what do we need to do collectively as a, you know, as a whole to to help these kids and and that kind of bleeds into that question, you know, because you're right, these kids, it's I'm just the next guy to let them down until I yeah. don't, until I prove yeah. that I'm not. People ask me, what is, what's your best day at Petra Cares? What does it look like? And I tell them it's when we get to deliver our tool set to the job site, because as an incentive, one of the incentives is we give them and gift them as a graduation gift, a really awesome tool set to start their career. It's a, you know, it's a $2,000 value. We get to deliver that to the dealership and they get to start their career because it helps them. People ask, how how are you getting these kids to complete this program? You know, we're at an almost 60% completion rate and we're at a just over 80% job placement rate. We've partnered with Lone Star College, which is a huge institution out here in Houston. I think they're one of the largest employers in the whole city. So they're very big and they love what we're doing. They love the idea of having a satellite campus, if you will, at the Petra Automotive Products location. And it's a bona fide class and course for Lone Star College. And so this is a college course. These kids, if they complete the program, they'll get two college credits if they continue their educational career. So one of the chancellors had a meeting with us and they said, how are you getting all these kids to stay in class? Because the national average, right? We know the national average, it's less than 3% or less than 2% will ever get a college degree, right? Mm -hmm. What that does is it, for all intents and purposes, it perpetuates the, you know, another generation of poverty. What we do and what we stacked hands on as a board is we said we are going to be committed to removing any barrier and any obstacle that these kids might have. Well, we found out transportation was a huge obstacle. Oh, yes. You know, because a flat tire or an empty gas tank or you don't have money for a bus card that week, that is the difference between finishing and not finishing a course in school. Exactly. Well, some of these kids are in, you know, a supervised independent living situation. They get $350 a month or somewhere around there. And a lot of them don't have financial literacy skills. And so, you know, they're in week two and they've blown all the money. And so we found that some of our guys were coming to school, coming to class hungry. They weren't participating. One of them had just had his head down. I said, pulled him to the side. I said, hey, buddy, what's going on? He goes, man, I just, I'm sorry, man. I just can't focus. I haven't eaten. You know, so we said, okay, we're going to figure out a way. So we're going to feed them every day. So we pick them up in the morning and take them back home. We feed them lunch every day during the break. 
And then we give them a stipend of $150 a week if they come to class for the whole week and they have perfect attendance. We give them a stipend of $150 just to help with food. They're a little short on their cell phone bill, whatever. That's their that's their money. And people are like, man, who does that? And they they all ask me that. The students will ask me. They're like, why do you do this for us? All this stuff mm-hmm, for us. Mm-hmm. They're blown away, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. And I get to tell them it's because we care. I get to tell yeah. them because, you know, and that's where, you know, a little bit of my faith background comes in, you know, and we tell them because, you know, there's a God that loves you and we can't change what happened in your past, but we can help put you on a path where you can change what what happens in your future. And a lot of yeah. these, a lot of these guys are buying into it and we're seeing some great success and we're just getting started. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to ask you some more details about yeah. what it is you do with the youth, but I wanted to just comment on what I think is really a, a critical need to develop partnerships yeah. with organizations in a community to provide the wraparound services that these young people need. Because not every organization can do all of it, you know, right? like you said, a job, helping them with career, housing, education, life skills, financial literacy, counseling, food, you know, all of the things that really overlap each other and depend on each other to be in place in order for these young people to succeed. And unfortunately, a lot of, in a lot of places, and I'm thinking particularly rural, there are huge gaps, I'll put it that way, in mm-hmm. the services that are available. And I can see an opportunity for somebody to, you know, be the person or be the organization to facilitate those partnerships. If the organizations aren't doing it themselves, <laughs> yeah. can somebody go out and help connect these organizations, identify the gaps yeah, and maybe help fill those gaps? Yeah. I think you're hitting on something that we're not there yet, but I think the flywheel is turning on that. There's some great organizations out there. I can think of like the Riverside Project. They've connected me with so many people that can use our services. And I can just imagine how how they're doing that on multiple fronts, right? For the housing piece and the financial literacy piece or whatever it is. But it's, it's all of us pulling together in the same direction, speaking the same language. We might not have it all together, but together we have it all. And we're firm believers in that. You know, we're one piece of the puzzle. Okay, there's tons of people that are doing housing and it's great. We need that. Tons of people that are doing food and clothing and daycares and all that stuff. But there was a big gap with the skills and job placement. That's what makes this thing work is we use our connections in, you know, in the industry. And man, we call these guys up and we, so during the week, in week four, so it's a seven week course, like in week four, we'll start inviting owners of dealerships to come managers, GMs to come meet the guys. Ah. And so, ah. so they get to shake their hand. They get to, you know, have a front row seat to the program. Basically they bypass the indeed line, you know, and they get, you know, they're, <laughs> they're getting to meet the owner. A lot of guys don't ever get to meet the owner of a company, big companies like that, you know, and uh, right, for auto right. dealerships. That's what really makes this thing special is that there is buy-in from dealerships. Now we have to get more. We want to get more on board. You know, we're working to to get that. But I really believe that, you know, you're onto something there. The more people we can get to know about it, to hear about it, to create opportunities for people to come and and walk alongside organizations that are doing it. And then for that, you know, who is that organization that's kind of bringing it all together? 
I think that's a key thing that's missing that, you know, maybe yeah. it's possible Aging Out Institute could look into yeah. in the future is providing that facilitation service mm-hmm. to bring organizations together as partners. Now, what else we need? I'll throw this out there too. Mm-hmm. We need incubators for nonprofits to fill the gaps. Mm-hmm. Is if you can help a nonprofit start, you identify that, you know, there's a lack in a particular area for career placement, like yep. we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Then find somebody in the community who is interested in starting a nonprofit in career placement for young people and help them get started, help them mm-hmm. find funding, help them build a, a business plan and do some yeah. market research and all the stuff that needs to go into starting a nonprofit. You can have an incubator there to help them through that. I just think that that could be one way to help fill gaps. Absolutely. That's so needed, you know, especially as you extrapolate this issue out all over the country. That's a much needed component. I think you've alluded to what it is exactly that you're Mm -hmm. teaching these young people, but is it really zeroed in on auto repair? No. How would you describe it? Yeah. So the class that we teach, it's the actual title of it is called Intro to Automotive Technology. So they'll, the first week they will learn shop safety. They'll learn what tool is what and where it goes, how it works, you know, the basics. They'll learn the history of the automotive industry in the United States, which is kind of fun. And then they'll do like right now we're in our fourth cohort and we're in week three now. So they're learning electrical, which is now that's, we're getting into the nitty gritty. We're getting into the deep waters of auto electrical or just general electrical. No, no, auto. Yeah. Electrical in the auto, in the car. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Everything is electric now. So it's, you know. That's really giving these guys an advantage because they're learning, you know, how to put things together and they're learning the why behind it. Why does this window go down? Why does this air conditioner turn on? (laughs) Yeah. How many of us know that? (laughs) Not many. No, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's so funny how we talk to so many people and they're like, you know, can I take this class? (laughs) And so then, you know, they'll actually, they'll get time under, under the hood and they'll start to work on the car and they'll take the car apart and, They'll learn how to do all of the lube flush and changing of the oils and the fluids and all that. They'll learn multi-point inspection. So when a car comes on a lot, they'll know exactly what to look for. They'll do tire rotation, tire balancing, change brakes. So they're fully equipped to be a level one lube tech when they leave our doors. And then the last week of our program, we devoted to life skills. So we talk about goal setting. And the owner of the company will come in and we'll have guests come in and we'll talk about goal setting. We'll talk, I'll do a seminar on conflict resolution. What happens when you encounter a coworker that doesn't like you? How are you going to respond to it? What happens when, you know, your boss, manager, supervisor tells you something that you don't like? How are you going to handle that? Because man, we see that with some of these guys because of the trauma that they've had. It's very difficult for them to navigate And so we're training them and we're teaching them that every day in class too. We always are reinforcing, you have to be employable. What does it look like to be employable? So every week we have seven weeks, we have seven words. One's employable, other one's dependable. The other one, we talk about integrity. You know, we talk about all these things and we drive that point home. And so when they leave the program, they are much better off. And sometimes when they come in, a lot of them won't even, they lack the social skills. 
They don't make eye contact when they're interviewing. Some of them do, most of them don't. But by the time they leave, Lynn, they are just a different person. You know, we've had some politicians come by, a judge, and they're just to see these guys get up and with their head held high and their shoulders back and they extend their hand out and introduce themselves. I mean, that's that's what it's all about for us. We're really trying to teach them to be productive members of society. Wow, that's fantastic. I love that, you know, the dependable yeah. and integrity, uh, just kind of those values, the things that employers are looking for. Exactly, exactly. In an employee, those values those skills. Yeah. That's fantastic. So the jobs that you're sending them to, Mm -hmm. then these companies will then train them to do the details of the work that they would need to do? Yeah. So if they go to Chevy, we have a kid at Chevy, we have a kid at Hyundai, Mazda, Toyota, a few at Toyota. So each OEM, each automaker will have their own system for their own particular car. So what we're doing is teaching them the basics. And then once they get there, they will go through their training. Chrysler has its own training system and they use Mopar. And then AC Delco is with Chevy and then Napa is with Ford. And so they they all have their different training protocols and their way to do it. And so wherever they go, they're going to learn that system. So yeah. yeah, we teach them the basics so that they could be employable and hired. So that's not necessarily an apprenticeship program, what you've just described, but are there any apprenticeship programs that you send kids to? No, but they're certainly out there. We just haven't done it and we, you know, we'd be open to that, but okay, yeah, that's something that we'd be open to that. It just hasn't presented itself yet. Well, how many people do you have working with the organization to help these young people? Yeah. So I'm the executive director and we have a program director that oversees kind of the day-to-day operation in the class. And he oversees the recruiting of the new students. He's the liaison between us and Lone Star College and CPS and DFPS and all these different homes that house these youth around the area, that sort of thing. And then we have a professor that's an employee of Lone Star College, but we pay the salary. That's what our foundation does. So we've got, there's three of us. Do the three folks you just described, including yourself, do you consider yourself mentors, coaches, teachers? How do you refer to yourselves then? No, I'm just Mr. Brian to the guys. (laughs) (laughs) And I think they're calling him Dr. Shield now because they have such a fun time in there. No, we, but you know, the mentorship goes on all day. This is one thing that I wanted to mention. We have a great partnership with a church that's directly across the street from us, and they have been so gracious. And the partnership with them is the reason why we're able to feed the guys every day. So they have people from their congregation, some of them that own businesses, and they come in at lunchtime. It's on their own volition. You know, they come in and they talk to the guys and they mentor them, you know, and they sit down at lunch with them and they feed them and then they talk to them and they play basketball for the lunch hour. It's really, it's really an important part of it. So we believe big in mentorship. Yeah. Coming and walking alongside, earning the right to be heard. Mm -hmm. And that goes a long way. You know? Yeah, I agree. You know, whatever you call it. Yeah. Mentor, coach, advisor, different organizations. It's yeah, yeah, that's the key thing is that you're supporting young people and sharing knowledge and guidance to to help them, right? right. So that they can launch it into their lives. Yeah. So how do you find the youth? Do you get referrals, word of mouth? (laughs) 
it's so funny looking back and seeing how far we've come. I basically built this thing from nothing. You know, the board met, we were all, we're very excited about it. You know, we had the meetings with Lone Star College and it, man, it took a long time to find Mr. Shield, our professor, you know, our, <laughs> our, our instructor. And then we realized, okay, we have the facility. We've got the professor. Now we need to go get kids. <laughs> what do we do? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so I began to just make a bunch of phone calls and show up at these functions that were put on by DFPS and CPS, you know, aging out little seminars and college days and things of that nature. And I would have a little booth and I would give my card out and I would show up at different events around the city. And then I, then, you know, we would make calls in Hope's Path. And there's another place called Angel Reach that deal with these kids. And oh, yeah. so I said, Hey, what if we just go out there and just buy pizza We'll come out on a Monday night where you have your life skills class and I'll come out, buy the kids pizza and I'll pitch Petra Cares to these guys and gals and see if anybody wants to do it, you know? And from there, we had one of our first graduates, Dylan, who's working at Milstead Automotive in Conroe, Texas, and he's doing great. He was homeless and now the guy is just, you know, soaring and doing so well. And oh, that's um, great. Yeah. So it's just a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, hard work, and a lot of phone calls, a lot of pizza parties, and just showing up. And then now, let me tell you, we already have a waiting list for our next class that's going to start in March, the end of March. And we have more kids than we have seats in the classroom because, you know, we can only do so much. You know, only five kids can be under a hood at one time. But the good thing about it is we're talking about expanding to Galveston already. Judge Andell's counterpart, I spoke with Judge Rawlinson, and she says, hey, we need to get this out there. You know, we need to get this in Galveston. And one of the owners of a large dealership in Los Angeles, you know, says, hey, we need to get this in Los Angeles, like ASAP. So we're talking about expanding already, and it's been such a short ride. We think this thing could really take off. And so, you know, the need's great. All to say, there's so many people that are calling us. We get, we probably get an application one per day. That's mm -hmm. what we're doing now. From not, wow. from nobody knowing who we are, we're getting so many, just so much traction now. It's incredible. And that's encouraging for us because people are, they're hungry. They want to do something. They want to know what's next. You know, the magic of what we do is we say, you give us seven weeks and we promise Things are going to happen. You know, we're going to put you in the best position to succeed. And that is really our secret sauce. We could just say, hey, go to the school. But that's not, they're not going to go to the school. They're going to, but they'll come here and they'll do something for seven weeks. The system, and I'm not here to knock anything. I think we all have to be on the same page. And so I think there's a lot of good work being done in a lot of different arenas but one of the things when I would show up at these events, they would say, hey, well, all right, go to, we're, we'll pay for your college. You know, if you're aging out, we'll pay for your college. And most of them will not go. But if I come along and say, hey, I've got this college course that you can take. You don't even have to have a high school diploma. We'll accept you because of the, the work we've done with Lone Star College. We'll get you in seven weeks, Monday through Friday nine o'clock to three o'clock. Does that sound like doable for you? And all of a sudden they start thinking a little, wow, I can, I think I can do that. And then at the end of that, 
man, I could have a job. So we graduate kids on a Friday and they're starting work on Monday. And we're talking a great career with a lot of opportunity for advancement. You know, they're getting a good starting salary. They're all getting insurance benefits. They're all getting a 401k at the dealer. So you're talking about a $50,000 to $60,000 package. They're not making the most money per se, but the opportunities are just there. And they're oh, making yeah. you know, they can support themselves now with yep. opportunity to advance. And so that's really what we think is the secret sauce of what we're doing. Anybody can do it. It's just, but it's seven weeks. It's not four years or six years. You know, they can't yeah, even yeah. see past their nose most of the time. And then we're telling, oh, we'll pay for your college. You know, okay. Well, they're often in survival mode mentality. Exactly. Exactly. Because they don't know where they're going to live. They don't know how they're going to earn money. And especially if they're on the streets already, right? Literally survival mode. Yeah. We had a kid in our first class. He was 17. He was turning 18. And everything was kind of colliding all at once. The final week of class, graduation, and then he was aging out of his RTC, his residential treatment center. And I just took a, a step back and I go, man, this kid has not missed a day of class. He's aced all his tests, but he doesn't know where he's going to live. And his caseworker is the one that's where I'm working with the caseworker. I'm working with other organizations. So I started making phone calls and said, Hey, I've got a kid, man. I called the Hay Center. I called Angel Reach. And man, in the nick of time, the kid, he finishes school, he graduates, and then he moves into Angel Reach. Oh, wow. And he's still there doing good, you know? And it's like, Hey man, this is what it's all about. But I, I can't even imagine not, you know, and he told me he doesn't know where he's going to live. He goes, man, I have no idea where I'll be. And I said, man, the thought that this kid hasn't missed a day, he's learning in class, he's engaged, he's participating, man, what a champion this kid is. You know, he doesn't have any support, no support at all, but we're there for him. And now he's got, he's, got, he's, got <laughs> he's got us and he's got, he's got angel reach. And oh, that's so, great. yeah, just great stories. It's just yeah. amazing. Well, I tell you what, I know our time is coming to a close here soon. I did want to just comment on one thing before, mm-hmm. before we do. And that is, it seems like this model could be applied to other trades as well. Yes. And other work skill sets, but I'm thinking specifically the trades. Mm -hmm. You would just need the space and the company to be willing to sponsor that charitable arm Mm -hmm. to get it started. I think this model could spread not just with the automotive area. That's right. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. There's a big wraparound organization out here called the Hay Center, Houston area Mm -hmm. youth. Yeah, I know them. And we have a couple of their guys on our advisory board and, and they just built an 89 bed apartment complex to house aging out kids in downtown, East downtown Houston. And and they partnered with Camden and which is a national builder. And so they were telling the top brass at, at Camden that oversees the Houston market or the Texas market, they were telling them about Patrick cares. And they said, man, the light bulb went on for them. They said, man, we should do something like that for construction, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So absolutely, Lynn, that's where things are headed. It just takes people that are passionate about it. It takes people that are willing to engage, you know, and if 
if I could say one thing, you know, what do I wish? What I wish would be different is that, unfortunately, there's a divide in every major city that we're in that, you know, in this country, there's a divide. Unfortunately, you got this side of the tracks and that side of the tracks. And a lot of people don't really, they're not looking at what's going on, you know, on the other side. They're not thinking about kids in foster care. And what happens if they don't get adopted by the age of 12? Do you know that their life expectancy is 23 years old? What happens if they, you know, they don't get a college degree? And so how do we create on ramps? How do we create more opportunities for people to get engaged? That's the big question for us. And there's something that everybody can do that could reach out and impact youth in tangible and intangible ways. You know, the tangible ways we're providing a need, right? We're providing a skill, we're providing jobs and training. But the intangible thing is we're saying, hey, basically, man, I see you. I hear you. I care about you. We all can do that. We all can, yeah. you know, humanize people. You know, we all can, yeah. can really put ourselves in their shoes. There's a golden rule that's in the Bible that says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If we can start thinking that way and creating more opportunities of engagement in an open source, multi-sectored you know, kind of collaborative way, I think we'll make a lot of impact in the future. We have to, because it's the problem, Lynn, is bigger than just one organization solving it. The government can't solve it. You know, it's got to be a we thing. It's a we collective. Collectively, we can we can make it happen. All of us working together. And I think one avenue for that is for companies yeah. like Petra Auto Products, but other companies. I worked at Milton Hershey School for 14 years, mm. and they are a nonprofit school, K through 12, for youth who are at risk, that Milton Hershey from Hershey Foods yeah. started. And if companies, established companies that aren't just new or, you know, might not necessarily make it, but established companies were to start some kind of program like you have, and not just with the mindset of we need an employee pipeline, yeah. but with the mindset that we want to really support these youth and be there for them and care for them. Right. If you have that, then I think we could really not solve it, but maybe make it a significant dent. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, the solving of the pipeline is definitely the the tertiary result, you know, or impact. Yes. The the, the kid it shouldn't is, be the primary reason. No, no, the kid the <laughs> kid doing is, it. Yeah. The students are the reason. And we're excited because we're gonna do things this fall of twenty twenty four to include more young ladies. So we're gonna do a bookkeep. So if you go to a dealership, there's a lot of female employees there, right? So they're behind the cash register, they're doing service advisor roles. They're doing, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. sales roles. They're doing, there's a lot of women in a dealership. So we're going to start to include some of that in our program as well. Oh, great. great. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, if I were young and I were still in foster care and I knew about you, I'd say, I want to be in the auto mechanic side of things. Well, we can <laughs> do that. That's my nature. <laughs> we had one young lady, we, we had one graduate that's a young lady and uh, we're trying to get her place right now. And oh, that's great. So, yeah, it's awesome. Across the board, there's like 5% of the mechanics in the U.S. are, are female now. So it's mm -hmm. definitely on the rise. Well, I would think it's an opportunity for young women to go down that road and maybe even have a greater chance of being hired because you know, yeah. they want to hire more women. So that I could certainly see that. Absolutely. Now, I know that time is 
running short here. So I want to give you an opportunity, Brian, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, maybe to donate or even just to reach out to you and talk with you, what's your website? How can people reach you? www.petra-cares.org. You can reach me at, even on my email is bmeza at petra-cares.org. Just give us a call. All the information is on the website. There's donate now button. Yeah, we're excited. We want to share this with as many people as we can. And we're very passionate about this. Well, when this podcast goes out there, a lot of people will have a chance to learn about your program. And I'm excited about that. And with that, I'm going to thank you, Brian. I know that we need to close our conversation and you've got very important things to do for your organization. (laughs) So I want to let you go. But thank you so much again for taking the time today and for sharing about your background and your program. I've loved it. And I can't wait to get this podcast out there. Thanks so much, Lynn. I really appreciate all that you're doing with Aging Out Institute. It's much needed. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. We got to work together. That's the whole thing. That's the theme. (laughs) That's right. Appreciate you. Oh, thank you. All right. For those of you who have listened to the end, thank you very much. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so. You can find them at our website, agingoutinstitute.org, and just look for the podcast link in the menu. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.